Now let's talk business. Victoria Young is in with us, Investigations Editor at Business Desk. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning, Susie. Good to talk to you. Now, this is an interesting one that we're going to start with. Um, liquidator David Thomas has been censured under a new system. What did he do? So this is a um, liquidator and insolvency practitioner um, down in Tauranga, David Thomas, Basically, he's described himself sort of in his LinkedIn posts as sort of like in sort of anti, not anti-establishment, but he used to be in, he used to be in a big four firm, but he quit that and sort of started working on his own. And he describes himself as a, you know, a jeans and t-shirts kind of guy instead of a suits kind of guy as before. And so what he's been censured for now after complaints from, um, multiple uh, people, including other insolvency um, practitioners, is it's actually like, a, you know, quite a collection of things, you know, pretending to be validly appointed So if, when he wasn't, so pretending to be the liquidator of a company when he actually wasn't correctly made a liquidator, um, not evaluating conflicts of interest between, you know, businesses that he had under his care as a liquidator and in new appointments, um, sloppy things, but like not including creditors' addresses in his reports, um, saying there was money owing when turns out there wasn't, um, not advertising liquidations properly. For example, there's one where he he seemed to have sort of copy pasted an ad and not run the correct version of the ad. So um, the tribunal, and this is a as I was saying, this is a new thing that. Um, insolvency practitioners are now doing coming under the same tribunal that accountants come under. A tribunal said he appears to lack the knowledge and understanding of even basic and practical requirements. So, yeah, quite a uh, a bit of a kicking, I guess, um, for this for this guy. So, what is he now facing as a result? So, he actually. Um, admitted the charges. So that kind of gets you a bit of sort of leeway to an extent. So he admitted that he'd sort of done these things incorrectly and cooperated with the tribunal. So he's skipped having a fine. He's sort of been censured. Um, Now he has to pay someone, another insolvency practitioner, to supervise him, basically, and have um, weekly meetings. Plus, um, he sort of gets named and shamed in, in the media, I guess, what we're doing right now. Okay, so I suppose why does this carry weight? What is the importance here? Well, it's quite interesting. So insolvency practitioners, you know, like the in the business world, there is the big end of town and there's the small end of town, right? And insolvency practitioners are the people that wind up businesses and, you know, collect all the money and, and finish paying off debts um, for different creditors. They've been under this new system of regulation only since 2021. And this is the first tribunal ruling where, you know, a practitioner has come under these new rules and, and, a, and a KC has decided it. I mean, it's not – I guess this behavior is not, like, super – Outrageous! It's sort of it's sort of really sloppy, but now it's really showing what happens to these guys that operate at the small end of town. And you know, he was dobbed in by, you know, guys from the bigger end of town who don't like, um, sort of, you know, the non-suit wearing, jeans and t-shirts sorts of insolvency practitioners going their own way. But the interesting thing is now, this guy who was operating on his own, he has to pay a supervisor, so he's got that extra overhead and I would sort of you know wonder if he's sort of being supervised it's almost like he's gone back to working for a big firm because he's going to have to pass 
the costs of having a supervisor onto the next company that he, you know, onto his fees and onto what he liquidates. So you end up sort of, I mean, I know this sort of behavior, not following the rules is undesirable, but um, he's ended up sort of being around, you know, being, having to incur extra expense to do, to do these things. So it's going to be interesting. And, you know, because we're expecting insolvencies to increase, the regulation of these guys, these practitioners, is going to become more and more important, I think. Mm, So what is the insolvency outlook at present increasing, you're saying? Yeah, quite fascinating because, you know, through COVID, you know, everyone, you know, was saying uh, businesses are going to go, businesses are going to go, we're going to be having, you know, hundreds, thousands of them collapse. And then obviously we didn't see that because of the measures that came through all of that government support, you know, all of their wage subsidy just pumped into the economy. And we still, we've definitely seen an uplift, but um, what we will see is, you know, like any, I mean, any, um, you know, bad financial climate, we will see um, companies fall over. But what we're seeing first is like the hangover of what we call the zombie companies. So the zombie companies are the companies that really should have just fallen over anyway, but were just pumped through with all this COVID money. So they have fallen over um but we're still not seeing the peak of it yet. There's actually a global study um, out by Insurer Allianz, um, I think last week, and it shows that New Zealand had had about a 15 to 30% increase in insolvencies, and it's expecting this to increase again. I think um, it's supposed to be, its estimate for 2024 is that it will be up by 13% from 2020-19. Now, the reason why they've done that comparison is because mm-hmm. they're you know, choosing the, you know, the, the earliest pre-pandemic year. So, um, yeah, an interesting time. And what we're sort of hearing on the ground uh, when we talk to um, liquidators, myself and Riley Kennedy, who wrote this report, is that the banks especially, you know, the, the banks are worried about their loans going south. The banks are telling their clients to get help first to address things early. And, mm. you know, I guess um, business owners are sort of being responsible because they're being told if you're getting into the – uh, into trouble, um, you know, say something, do something early. So a lot of the um, liquidations that we see at the moment are actually, um, uh, well, a lot of them have been um, IRD ones, so unpaid unta- unpaid tax debt. I mean, the IRD is definitely very active. It sort of stood back a ju- bit during COVID. But now, you know, we are going to see, you know, we're looking at, I mean, a retail and hospital is quite interesting, but the interesting one is, of course, construction, where a lot of companies go mm. boom and bust anyway. Um, that's going to be quite an interesting um, one to watch, especially when you've got something like Kung Ora, you know, which is a you know, sort of like a, mm. a government contractor in, engaging all these companies. Where where does that where does that sit? And we've already seen it sort of, you know, it's ha- it, c- it could, you know, help pay f- to keep things afloat if it needs to because it needs to get homes finished yeah, yeah. in a way. So, yeah. Well, that's going to be an interesting one, certainly. Um, if we can also talk about some new detail that has emerged about the New Zealand finances uh, and assets of an oligarch, Alexander Abramov, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, that's right. So this guy, um, Alexander Abramov, he's a Russian billionaire, a steel guy. Um, his He chaired um, London Stock Exchange listed Everest up until last year. And now Everest denies this, but, you know, it is purported to be, you know, one of the biggest um, producers of, you know, Russian 
railroads and uh, allegedly uh, Russian tanks and um, you know military stuff, I guess. So um, this guy uh, in New Zealand, I guess he's probably best known for owning Helena Bay Lodge, which is a luxury lodge in Northland. And, and when I say luxury, we're talking has four private beaches. And, and a yacht luxury. So this is like the big time, the big time luxury. So he's, um, yeah, as you said, he's been described as a, an oligarch. And um, in these court documents, however, that um, my colleague Ollie Lewis has dug up from the Australian courts, he, I mean, he says he doesn't have uh, political connections with the current um, president of Russia. But um, yeah, so an interesting chap. So he has. Um, a bit of a history, and he has been sanctioned in in some places um, around the world. Mm. And so what is the situation now with what he's able to do in New Zealand? Yeah, so interestingly, what um, Nanaya Mahuta did, um, I think last year or the year before, when the the invasion of Ukraine began, is that she, she, she did not freeze his assets, unlike other countries, um... Unlike Australia, unlike the UK, she placed a travel ban on him, so he can't travel here. He can't he can't use his his luxury lodge if he if he wanted to. But you know this is obviously met with controversy because, for example, um, you know Greenpeace have called for the government to freeze his assets. I think they sent out flotillas to his lodge to to sort of you know you know raise awareness and discussion of this um you know uh, alleged oligarch uh you know having a business here but he can do a few things here you know his his um Helena Bay Lodge has about 15 staff um what other stuff um this uh these court documents uncover shows that he had a um joint venture with a major house builder um in, in in New Zealand in in Auckland I believe um you know building uh, apartments. So quite interesting. Um, he did pull out of that joint venture, though. But um, what he told the Australian courts, and it's interesting because this this court case happened in Australia where he's, um, you know, faces, you know, tougher restrictions, but his business interests are really in New Zealand. He doesn't, he says he might develop um, business in Australia, but actually his business interests are mainly in New Zealand. And he was complaining about the Australian, the impact of the Australian sanctions on his business in New Zealand and the reputational impact, obviously, you know, we're talking about it right now, that there Mm. could be an issue with this guy. And he said, you know, the cost to him is about, I mean, he's a billionaire, so it's five to 10 million. It's small change. (laughs) It's probably small change, to be honest. But, you know, he's saying five to 10 million, this is what it's costing me here. And, you know, and and I think one of the claims was I was going to hire another 15 staff. You know, so there are, you know, uh, if you read some of the other reporting reporting around this, you know, there are people um, up in Northland that are major benefactors of this guy and had been. And then, you know, there's a change in the economic circumstances. So, mm. you know, what is what is New Zealand's role, I guess, in, you know, standing strong in, in putting in these sanctions, but also, you know, in condemning um, the behaviour of Russia, but also the, the people who have jobs mm. uh, because of this guy. Mm. Um, a quick word, too, about Auckland Council spending $5 million on rubbish ads. Now, this, to clarify, is... is Rubbish, as in things you throw out, not rubbish, as in not good. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not uh, making a critique on on the quality of the ads, but yeah, this is part of our um, waste as money series. We've been looking into the business 
of waste and, you know, the businesses that support the waste industry. So another big sort of part of uh the waste industry is uh, information and advertising and you know yeah Auckland Council spending five million dollars um, over three years telling residents what to do and you know making them aware of of how to use their bins I guess and, and, and that sort of thing I mean it's quite it's quite an interesting topic really because I mean You've got $5 million, and, you know, to be fair, a lot of this comes from um, the waste levy, which is a tax on uh, that landfills uh, co- collect. Um, but another million, um, uh, another $1.5 million of this comes from, comes from ratepayers, you know, teaching ratepayers what to do and how to sort. And, you know, another uh, a million of it was spent just on the um, food scrap bins uh, rollout. I know you're not based up here are you Susie but you know we've all got our bins mm. and now and we've seen plenty of advertising on um, TV telling us how to use it in the correct messaging um, so um, in Auckland um, Colenso BBDO Stanley Street um, this sort of younger uh, hotshot agency motion, motion sickness studio you know these are all the businesses that are benefiting from um, you know the need to get people to understand how to use their bins. Yeah, what's the outlook for the advertising market at the moment? Yeah, it's quite interesting. So, or, or, I mean, we know that the, you know, I work for a commercial media company. We know mm. the, ad, the, <laughs> the, the ad outlook is not great. We know uh, in tough times, belts get tightened and, you know, it's difficult times economically. But the other factor and the other interesting things for ad agencies is, of course, a change in government because some of the best steady clients and some of the clients that, you know, the ad agencies really enjoy and, you know, can win lots of awards for, rah, 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 are government clients. Uh, we're talking, you know, guys like NZTA or Wakakotaha, you know, the, the um, safe driving safe ads, you know, those sorts of things. ACC, another big um, spender on advertising. So I guess it's going to be an interesting um, time uh, when this new government is finally formed because, you know, the rhetoric from ACT, you know, throughout, you know, you know, its time in opposition has been, you know, this government spending uh, on this sort of stuff is is wasteful. It's probably right up there with, with consultants. Yet, um, you know, people do need to be informed. I mean, what's interesting about um, coming back to waste, I guess, is that the waste companies will tell you they actually, um, you know, like, you know, councils spending lots of money on advertising because it's cost them a lot of money when people don't recycle properly when people don't mm. clean out their soft plastics and get all that um, mixed up, I guess. So, yeah, I guess um, that's what's going on in, in that world. Interesting stuff. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. Victoria Young there, our business correspondent on 9 to noon this morning.